This is the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Poker and Inside Edge, with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock. All right. Hey, welcome into the Houston Football Show. Today, I am Sean Bajani from Sports Radio 610 in for Jason Braddock, who's uh, got some uh, stuff he's dealing with today. And uh, I'm always joined by NFL Insider, covers the Houston Texans for KPRC Local 2. He is Aaron Wilson. Aaron, what's going on, my man? Good to have you in. Great to be here, Sean, and welcome. Good to have you as part of the show. I appreciate you, man. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, let's get right into it. Uh, week 10 matchup coming up with the Houston Texans and New York Giants. The Giants coming off of a bye week. Always makes me nervous when the Texans face a team coming off of a bye week. It gives them an extra week or so of preparation. Um, but the Texans got a familiar face back into the building after a week hiatus or so in Brandon Cook's. Um, retaining his captain title role. That's something I actually meant to ask you earlier on today. Um, we know Larry, Laramie Tunsil was made team captain uh, last week uh, for that game. Is Brandon Cooks retaining that team captain role? I don't think that he will immediately be team captain. I think it's something that he can earn back in the future. Uh, you know, team captain is an honor. It's not the most important thing that's happening with this team or really in the big picture with Brandon Cooks. But, yeah, it's an interesting question, and I'm sure we'll know before kickoff or at kickoff when they're up in the Meadowlands. And, yeah, I would expect Laramie Tunsil probably would be out there again. You know, when you want to be traded and they try to facilitate that trade request in good faith, it doesn't work out for various reasons, including his $18 million guaranteed salary and the – trade ask of a second round and a fourth round pick from Nick Casario, the Texas general manager. Mm-hmm. You know, it's frustrating. So it's an emotional thing. And I expect him at some point, probably maybe as soon as Wednesday to explain it in some fashion and then close ranks on that issue and move on. And, you know, we'll see how they handle the off season. How does he feel about it months from now? Does he yeah. still want to be traded? Uh, you know, whether he acknowledges that or not, you know, that, kind of his business. Uh, one thing about the whole interview deal with athletes, I mean, he doesn't have to bear his soul out there. He can, you know, give a somewhat limited response. I think that, it, yeah, obviously this became, you know, increasingly awkward, especially with the displeasure he, you know, displayed on social media. And I don't know if he'll fully get into that. That's not my expectation, Sean. And I think probably, for his sake and for the teams, probably a less is more approach is, is likely what I would expect. I know that people have a lot of interest. I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions I can about it. Yeah. Uh, you, but, you know, just kind of where this thing stands and what happened. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's complex. And these are people. He's, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, and I think he, he is, but, and, and, and will be, continue to be extremely professional. That said, I think that it became somewhat overwhelming for him two days before the trade deadline. And you know, he reacted. He's got three pinned tweets on his Twitter. And the last tweet that he'd made was on trade deadline day. That's one of them where he'd said, quote, don't take a man's kindness for granted, covered for the lies for too long. Those days are done. Cross the line with playing with my career. So, you know, when, when you read that, like, he still has it up there. Like, that's that does bear some explaining. And so it is going to be interesting uh, when and if he takes the podium uh, this week. Certainly he will do so uh, at some point in the future, whether or not we catch up with the locker room before he actually takes a podium. And whatever setting it is, he's going to be asked those questions. Um, I certainly can't wait to ask those questions and, and get a response from him. What I thought today... Aaron was pretty interesting with Chris Moore taking the podium. 
in talking with us and answering questions is that he had his comments on Brandon Cooks. I know you remember him, but he talked about, you know, Cooks being a leader in the receiver room and how much they missed him and how glad they were to have him back. But the most interesting part about that whole thing for me was is that he was kind of speaking for the entire receiver room and said that they understood what was going on at that point in time during the trade deadline, his absence from the team, that they understood that it was just about the business that is, that right. is the National Football League. What did you take from that? Oh, I was not surprised by how Chris commented on it. And, you know, I had a chance to talk um, individually with Laramie Tunsil, with A.J. Kane, a couple of the veteran offensive linemen. Laramie is one of the team leaders. As you said, you know, he's a team captain now. They support him. They said they love Brandon. They welcome him back with open arms. It's a situation where every player at some given time might have a business dispute with the team or with another team at some point. So it's something the players kind of universally understand. And I understand where he was coming from. It's just the disconnect between fans, media, and well, I would say some people around the league is that he signed that contract. And he feels differently now than he did in the spring when he wholeheartedly signed on, said, I believe in Nick Casario's vision. So what happened between now and then? What's happened between now and then, his touches are way down. His stats are way down. They are in a run-first offense. Mm -hmm. His first year playing for Pep Hamilton as an offensive coordinator. And Pep's scheme is not that conducive to Brandon putting up numbers and having a central role. And they're also losing. That's, that's something I wouldn't discount at all. The team is bad and he's frustrated with many things, the record, the outlook, how he's, you know, not being involved. I think he's one of these guys who it's not just about selfishness and wanting to have numbers for numbers sake, but every wide receiver always wants the ball. It's, he believes he could help them win. And I think that too, I think that there are some creative ways to get him touches. You know, what about a bubble screen? What about an end around? He's so fast. He's, uh, you know, I would say probably the fastest guy on this roster. He's four, three, three, all the GPS data shows he hasn't lost a step. He still can fly. And Davis's deficiencies and Davis, them asking him to do more. Sean read the entire field. He threw it to him 134 times last year. He's just forcing him the ball. That's one of the reasons he had 90 catches. They're out of sync because Davis spent so much time, I believe, trying to improve his, you know, cohesiveness, chemistry, and timing with Nico Collins. And he did that. He is statistically actually a better, uh, a worse quarterback, but a more well-rounded quarterback today. I, I think obviously he's regressed in terms of performance, but I think he is being asked to do more. He's not as one dimensional as last year. And they had a terrible running game last season. I mean, Davis, I thought pointed this out really well last week. They had to throw and they're behind in these games. You're in close games. Now you should run the ball. Damian Pierce is probably going to be NFL offensive rookie of the year. If he keeps this up. So everything changed. And I think for Brandon, like I said, last week, uh, it became a really rough situation for him. And he tried to play a little bit of hardball. He, Wanted out, you know, he tried to get traded. It got very close. And I think that became a very emotional issue for him. I think I know it became a very emotional issue for him. And now they've got to work together again. Can they? Of course. I'm sure that he'll be back. I don't know if they're going to all of a sudden throw it to him 10 times a game. I think he's going to get five to seven attempts per game. Uh, They'll try to, you know, target him some and he'll have to make the most of it. But I don't see the offense changing just because Brandon's unhappy, nor should it. It's a complex situation, but is it manageable? Yes. And for a lot of the people outside looking in, is this really dramatic? And one of the more interesting things that's happened this season? Of course it is. It sure is. (laughs) I look at it, though. I'm thinking big picture. And ultimately, none of it really is that important. What's more important is the development of the rookies, how Nick Casario handles the offseason. Brandon's going to be here if he's not traded for a year or two, and I'm sure they'll try to facilitate a trade. Let's see how he feels, too. You know, how does the second half of the year go for him? 
Yeah, I, I would, think that's I think that's right. I think that's the point though, Aaron, is you know, how does the second half go for them? And whether or not, you know, the Texans maybe learned anything in the week of his absence where they had to rely on Philip Dorsett and Chris Moore uh, a little bit more than than they're used to. I wonder maybe if that, you know, allowed Pep Hamilton to kind of think outside the box a little bit and get a little bit more creative, whether it be with some uh, with, with his route tree, with um, some things that that he envisions with the offense. You know, we've spent so much time talking about, you know, the multiple tight end sets, which, you know, I think do have a lot of promise. Um, I, I, I think the Texans and Pep Hamilton could really do a lot with with what they've shown thus far. And I think the real question kind of comes down to, you know, is how comfortable does Pep Hamilton feel in entrusting Davis Mills in this offense with really enacting um, a playbook that is probably a lot more creative than what we've actually seen with our own eyes. Um, but when we come back, I, I, I want to talk about, you know, Nico Collins. We, we don't know his status yet, so I want to know if you have any insight there, if you've learned anything over the last couple of days, what we can expect to see from him. Uh, if we can expect to see him along with Malik Collins in practice this week and just how that offense could change going forward. Also, the Texans continue this gauntlet of tough running backs and Saquon Barkley is the next man up. Should we expect more of the same? That's next. Come out and enjoy Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality Prime Social Poker Club. At Prime, you'll enjoy an upscale social environment, fully stocked bar, gourmet dining, pool tables, dozens of poker tables, and many other fun games throughout the venue. You can also join their over 21,000 members with a lifetime membership for only $10. What are you waiting for? Get into the game. Come join us at Prime Social Poker Club. Inside Edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, then you know Inside Edge. They were part of the data and analytics revolution in professional sports. Fans can now have access to the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free at MyInsideEdge.com. My Inside Edge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can find matchups, specific insights, and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. Again, that's MyInsideEdge.com. All right, welcome back to Houston's football show. Sean Bajani with you from Sports Radio 610. Been covering uh, Houston sports for 16 years and joined by NFL Insider, who covers the Houston Texans for KPRC Local 2. He is Aaron Wilson. And Aaron, you know, I mentioned this, uh, this gauntlet of tough running backs. Uh, Saquon Barkley's the next man up. Boy, the Texans have been through it the last three weeks to the likes of Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, Miles Sanders. I mean, those three guys make up a chunk of the top 10 rushers in the entire league. And each one against the Texans, Aaron, has had one of, if not their best games of the season. And we'll get to Saquon here in just a minute, but I did want to see if you have any insight for us on uh, Nico Collins, his status with the groin injury. Uh, are you expecting him back with the Texans uh, in practice, at least in a limited basis this week? Yes, I think he's close, and they're going to have to make a judgment call whether it's too still too soon. Uh, everything with him is trending toward with either this week or the next that he should be able to practice. So that's the first step. And typically what they do is they have a ramp-up week where you practice for a week, and if you don't have any setback, then you play the following week. And you know his case with a groin injury, it's really susceptible to a setback. So that's the kind of injury it's very difficult to until you're 100% to run routes. But yeah, he hasn't been limping. He's told me he's feeling well. He's you know getting there, but he's just not 100%. So I don't think it's going to be a sure thing at all that he's back on the field this week. Yeah. And same thing with Malik Collins, who's dealing with a chest and a rib cartilage injury. That's their defensive tackle. Their three technique is a real key to. Trying to stop the run when he's out there, you know, he gives them a little bit 
of a fighting chance because he can penetrate the backfield. He can doesn't get pushed around as much as some of the other defensive tackles on this roster. Mm-hmm. But Nico, no, it's it's not a lock. And even if he is practicing, I wouldn't pencil him into the lineup. I think it's very possible that you're going to see Brandon Cooks, Philip Dorsett, and Chris Moore as the primary receivers. I wonder about Ty, uh, Tyron Johnson too. You know, I think he had one catch. Um, and boy, who knows what kind of play he could have turned that catch into. I think it was like a little wide receiver screen. Yeah, he's, he's quick. quick. So he just needs more touches. Uh, you know, he, he's all of that 4-3-4. So he's almost as fast as Brandon. He's, yeah. he's very close. And he, he's a nice player. Uh, you know, he's still probably not as advanced as some of these other guys in terms of understanding of the offense and yeah. just sophistication of his overall game. But, yeah, he's got good raw material. He can take the top off the defense. I like his ability to create separation. I just don't know if he's going to have a ton of reps once Brandon's back out there. So, you know, we'll see how they proceed. I think we're going to see more of the tight ends. Like you mentioned earlier in the show, Sean, you know, so team Kutariano, that's just the start. You know, he got a touchdown, but mostly he's going to block. And so they have a couple of blockers with him and OJ Howard, and they've got two receiving tight ends with Brevin Jordan and Jordan Akins. And Jordan Akins is, outperformed all of those guys so far as a receiver. I think that they'll continue that trend, but they won't have to use as many tight ends perhaps with Brandon returning. So that can maybe take one of them out of the equation. Mm-hmm. We, you know what I, what I found interesting and, you know, I, I, I totally agree with you about Akins, but what Lovey Smith said earlier this week in regards to uh, rookie uh, Tegan Quatoriano, uh, who made his NFL, NFL debut last Thursday against the Eagles was that he said he's probably the best blocking tight end of the bunch. And we saw what he did in the preseason with that touchdown catch against the L.A. Rams. Looked good. I thought he looked good in camp before his injury. And here he comes, another tight end, Aaron, that Pep Hamilton and the Texans just, you know, a week from, you know, being picked up off of the streets or, you know, just a week removed from coming back from injury, whatever the case is, they find a way to get these tight ends active and involved very quickly in the offense. I wonder how much we could expect to see Tegan Quatoriano as a, a continuous contributor with this offense. What do you think? I think he'll continue to be involved. I think that they have really uh, set a high ceiling for him. He's a very effective blocker. He's all of six foot six. He weighs about nearly 260 pounds. He's a big, strong kid. He's got frame to get even bigger. Uh, as they say, he's a Y tight end, uh, letter Y, and he's that guy that can block. He's got classic size for the position, and he's very young, and he's completely healthy now after having that knee injury linger during the preseason and the offseason. So now they can really put him to use, and he was the last rookie other than Austin Deculus to really mm-hmm. get involved, and uh, I think it's uh, a nice pickup for them off of the designated injured for reserve along with Tavier Thomas. And so to get those guys back, it gives them a little boost. And sometimes the best players are your players on your roster that aren't able to play. So yeah. whenever the only Collins, Nico Collins back, which will be this season, it, you know, if it's not this week, I think it's the following week, then you've got a stronger team. What it all adds up to still you're one, six and one, and you got to play the giants and Saquon Barkley and you allow the most rushing yards in the NFL. And that's a problem. that's not going away. Yeah, uh, they are one of the worst run stopping teams in the past decade, statistically. And, you know, <laughs> got to hope that they can figure it out. Uh, you know, maybe Tavier Thomas, he's a good tackler. Having him play more could help. Uh, you know, you, you got on the list here, someone can't wait to talk about with Christian Harris, their rookie linebacker, who I thought the light kind of clicked on a little bit this past game and thought he played much better. Yeah. More of that from him and better play from the defensive line and some more disciplined fits, gap integrity, pursuit <laughs> angles, and crisper tackling. And Saquon can make these guys look very bad. As you mentioned, Josh Jacobs and Derek Henry, and Miles Sanders, Khalil Herbert, someone else that comes to mind from the Bears. All these guys have these beast games against them. And it's like people can't wait to play the Texans, these running backs. And if I'm Saquon Barkley, I'm feeling the same way that this is, you know, 
not a, there's no such thing as an easy game, but it's an opportunity game for him to put up some stats. It could be a, a numbers kind of thing for him. If they could stop him, it would be an upset. But nothing oh, yeah. they've so far suggests to me, Sean, I want to get your opinion, that they're about to shut him down. Boy, you know, I, I tell you what, like, I'm looking at this Giants game in just the way that the Texans played against the Eagles this past Thursday. Like, are there some things that the Texans can do against the Giants defensively that they did against the Eagles? But by the same token, you know, are there also some things that the Texans can kind of steal uh, from the Seattle Seahawks to slow Saquon Barkley down? I mean, they grounded him in week eight before the bye week. They held him to just 53 yards on 20 carries. You know, and, and that's doing something for a guy that still ranks third in the league in rush yardage. Um, they really slowed him down. But what the Texans did against the Eagles, I found kind of interesting. It was almost like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. They understood that they were going to sell out and come with the blitz, come with the delayed blitz, you know, with that Mike linebacker who would typically drop into coverage in that intermediary route. And they got burned a couple of times on it. But also, some of the times they were really able to stifle uh, Jalen Hurts and slow the run game down for what he's capable, very capable of doing with his legs. And I thought Miles Sanders could have probably had a much, much better game. Just something kind of flashed for me with the Texans against the Eagles, especially in the first uh, two and a half quarters. And then it just, again, as it usually does, it gets away from them. I don't know if the opposition is just better at figuring out what the defense is doing or not doing and taking advantage of it. But I, I'm going to be very interested to see what the Texans do now that Tavier Tavier is back in the fold, you know, for a second week, Christian Harris has got three games under his belt. You know, the kind of improvement that I feel like we should be seeing from him at this point in time lends itself to doing a better job against stopping the run that's identifying run pass you know hitting his fits and be becoming a better tackler right yeah that's what i saw from him was a real quantum leap and improvement he did lead them in tackles we also saw him on the right side of the backfield making a tackle and he just seemed like a guy that hadn't played football in a long time and he hadn't it had been since the national championship game for alabama against georgia he had three sacks and four tackles for losses and forced a fumble. You know, Christian's really talented. He's one of the faster guys in the entire defense, regardless of position. And he just needed to kind of calm down a little bit. He was running wild out there. I thought the first two games, especially against the Raiders when he missed four tackles. And, you know, now their decision to insert him into the lineup, move on from Kamagruja Hill, it's looking a little more logical because this is a player that they wanted to plan around for the future. And he's that athletic. And I think he's got the right linebacker mentality. And I don't mind him making some mistakes. I mean, that's what happens with rookies. You have to be patient with them. And I think mm -hmm. they've had approach with all of the rookies, whatever their level, you know, Jalen Petrie. Yes. He's missed a lot of tackles more than any other safety. Yes. He's having a bad season. I think he'll improve in that area. You know, Derek Stingley's allowed some yards. He's also made some plays, and he's never not allowed a touchdown. Yeah, rookies for a reason, you know. And Damian Pierce is obviously, you know, he's been Sterling. He's had the best season of the rookies, but they're all successful in their own way somehow. So it's looking like a really good draft class. Is it looking like Seattle's draft class? No, I mean, I think that John Schneider really knocked it out of the park. I think Nick had a great draft class too. And it's paying dividends now and it will even more in the future. But Christian Harris, if he can get to Saquon quickly and hit him the way that he um, did Miles Sanders this past game, yes, they have a chance. Yes. What they can't do is let Saquon set up his jump cuts and cutbacks and you know stretch the field. He's so good at that too, yeah. And he's so strong. He's hard to bring down. He's got so much quad power. He's – got a lot of leg drive and he's experienced. He's played a lot of football. This is like Penn state Saquon. And right now he's operating on all cylinders. He is one of the best running backs in the NFL. And this is a big problem. And I know what Lovey Smith said, you know, they're not out there combing their hair. They're working on this. <laughs> yeah. is this. 
if this was high school football, you'd go and you'd actually tackle each other and you'd practice the tackling until you're better at it. In the NFL, if you try that, you will lose this team, one. Two, you will have more players on injured reserve. Someone will get injured. You cannot – You only and by the rules, you can't even hit that often. Yeah. So there, it's not going to happen. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's something they're going to have to figure out, um, you know, the day of the games. And, look, I, I've just kind of been – you know, to a certain degree, Aaron, I, I look at an NFL defense kind of like I do an NBA defense. It, a lot of it comes down to just sheer want to and will. Um, yeah, there is a lot of skill in taking the proper angle, um, you know, utilizing your God-given ability, your raw talent um, to take great angles and use your speed to your advantage and your athleticism and all of those things. And it's just got to come together for the Texans at some point in time. Uh, and it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be done on a game day. <laughs> right. In my opinion, Sean, they, it's not a scheme issue. It's not just, you know, and this is something that no one really would admit a press conference or want to face, but I'm just going to, you know, I, I just want to be very honest. They lack the personnel fundamentally yeah. to run stopping defense. They are very small in the defensive line. They don't penetrate enough. They don't make enough big plays. This front four is undersized. It's built for speed and quickness. They're not pressuring the quarterback frequently enough other than Jerry Hughes. They miss John Grenard. But even if you had John Grenard, Malik Collins, and Jerry Hughes, which they did at the beginning of the season, they were still not stopping the run. Yeah. And Kamagruja Hill wasn't playing all that well. He wasn't playing like he did last year. He had offseason knee surgery. I feel like he wasn't the same wasn't hitting as hard. Christian Kirksey each year is less of a thumper than he was in the past. This is just, you know, I'm just being honest. Jalen Petrie misses too many tackles. Jonathan Owens misses too many tackles. Steven Nelson with a few guys every week. He plays great. He's one of the best signings Nick Casario has made. And, but you need more guys like that and more guys like Tavier Thomas. And I'm trying to, work on it because I pronounced it incorrectly tonight and many other occasions. I did too. Yeah. Everybody screwed it up. <laughs> what a good press conference. I wrote an article about Tavier that I posted right before the show. And I really enjoy like that guy. He's just he's a tough guy. He loves football. He's really, you can just see how coachable he is. Very infectious personality. Love his backstory. Detroit, Ferris state, Walk on, earns a yeah. scholarship, didn't qualify academically out of high school. Desmond King's high school buddy, known each other forever. Both two Detroit guys now playing together in Houston. Really a neat story. And he's someone the word grateful comes to mind because you can see like how excited he is to play football. Oh, yeah. And he's itching to play and he finally got healthy and couldn't have been happier other than not getting the win. But yeah, he's someone that that's what you need. More guys like him. Yes. As a pure football player, don't really care what position you call in, whether he's nickel, corner. Dudes. They need whatever. dudes, Aaron. Just a dude. Yeah, I love it. Call him a dude. Uh, he's just he's a, he's a real, real football player and a tough guy, a legitimate tough guy. And you can see why Lovey Smith and him have such a great relationship. Mm-hmm. This is one of those players that like you'd love to coach as a coach because of how important football is to him, how good he is at football, and how humble he is. Uh, so, yeah, they need more guys like him. I think a lot of these guys have the right attitude. It's not – the locker room is not the issue because I know a lot of people, they question what. They don't, are they not tough? They don't play together? No. No, it's not the issue. We're there every day. We're talking to these guys. I don't sense that at all. And since I'm talking to players privately, I don't sense that they have these sort of chemistry issues. Right. They just aren't good enough, and they're not there yet. And it's going to take another couple of draft classes, in my opinion, good ones like this one, and getting a franchise quarterback, you know, right now, you could not say that Davis Mills is the long-term answer. He would have to play significantly better. Yes. And too inconsistent. That's part of being a young quarterback. But yes. I digress uh, off on a tangent, uh, which is, happens to me sometimes. But, yeah, let's, <laughs> uh, let's get to the next topic or the next break and uh, keep talking ball. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to the giant turnaround and what exactly is clicking for the Giants this season and whether or not the Texans can do anything to slow them down. But, you know, talking about turnaround, 
we'll take a minute here for Inside Edge. If you want to turn your bank account around and you're a gambler, um, I know many of you like to dabble in that. You play fantasy football. You like to bet on football. The Inside Edge can give you just that, the edge. And on the Houston Football Show, we use insights generated by the team at Inside Edge. These insights, they've been a real game changer in in-game analysis. Inside Edge founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you remember the movie Moneyball, you know Inside Edge. And now fans can access the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free. Absolutely free at myinsideedge.com. My Inside Edge, it's a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can find matchup specific insights and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. That's the key, fellas. Who doesn't want that? It's awesome that anyone can access the insights for free. But the best part is the Inside Edge five star game picks during the 21 22 NFL season. Get this. A 70.8, almost a 71% success rate. And where else are you going to get a tool like that to help you gain such an advantage on those games? 34 and 14 against the spread. That's incredible. And if you're listening today, just use the code HOUSTON, all caps, HOUSTON, and you'll receive 10% off of your subscription. It's my inside edge. And talking about that inside edge, I don't know what the Giants are doing, Aaron. Maybe you can help with some insight there. They are – you talk about a turnaround. This is a massive turnaround for a team that over the course of the last decade has just been a bottom dweller. Since winning the Super Bowl in 2011, the Giants have had just two winning seasons in 2012 and 2016. They've had five straight losing years. They're 6-2 and two now entering this Week 10 matchup with the Texans. How have they been able to do it? One of the things that Brian Dable really has shown me this year is the value of a coach and someone that has a really organized plan and being in sync with the general manager, Joe Shane. And it doesn't matter that they don't have really elite wide receivers and that Daniel Jones is, you know, that someone that they're not completely sold on is whether they're going to you know, go forward with him. I think that they're leaning that way, you know, at least they think that obviously they can win with him. They've got some talent on defense. They've got a really aggressive defense corner. I've known him a long time. I covered him when I was in Baltimore, Don Wink Martindale, and he blitzes more than anyone in the league. That aggressiveness has paid a lot of dividends for them. They've got what it takes. I mean, they are going to play without Xavier McKinney, who got hurt in the ATV accident, broke some fingers, had surgery, was in Cabo San Lucas. Very unfortunate. Uh, because he was the defensive signal caller for them. So that changes things. So they still got Julian Love. They've got a lot of players. And it, this is a team that they're not overwhelming in terms of talent, but they're good enough. And they got a good running back. They got a quarterback that's playing with some confidence and is being well coached now. I think Joe Judge didn't necessarily do the best job he could with Daniel Jones. And yeah. now with Dable, someone that really understands quarterbacks, that has a lot to do was really instrumental in the development of Josh Allen in Buffalo when he was up there as office coordinator. This guy, I mean, he could run for mayor right now in New York, Brian Dable. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know him a little bit. He's he's a really good dude. He's very salt of the earth, very blue-collar type of guy, very New York. Mm-hmm. And it's this city like a glove. And it is really working right now. Both of the New York teams, Jets, and Giants are having success, and they've been downtrodden for years, and the fans have put up with a lot. So, yeah, good for them. I think what's going on right now with the Giants, you know, it's pretty cool. They're kind of bend but don't break on defense, but they've got some playmakers. And you know, you've seen Daniel Jones, things that he's doing in terms of running the football. Yeah. His mobility makes a difference. He's been clutch late in the games. No, no one else is having the success in the fourth quarter with the game-winning drives. No, five game-winning drives, Aaron. Five. That that shows clutch, and you know that he's also it's an extension of the coach and strategy. And so, you know, the guy is running the football very well. He's a good athlete. He always was at Duke University, and you know they were due for a good season. They have been down for so long and it really does show that sometimes a coach can make a difference and Brian Dable 
I give him a lot of the credit. Yeah, I, I think I, I think you're spot on. Um, I, you make a lot of great points. And, you know, Lovey Smith pointed to Brian Dayball today when uh, he was asked about Jones's success. Also, um, you know, offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, you know, the, the job that he's been able to do to incorporate the bootleg that's kind of opened things up for Dan Jones. Obviously, Saquon Barkley's kind of flourished um, in this offensive system now, especially that he's healthy and, you know, if, if, whether or not Dan Jones is like legit, like going forward, all I can tell you is that it, to me, it, it should kind of give, you know, Texan fans, you know, and maybe the Texans players themselves a little bit of hope that, you know, if you're just able to take care of the football, that to me has been a part of the biggest turnaround for Dan Jones. You go back and look at his rookie year where he had like 19 fumbles and was throwing a ton of interceptions. And the touchdown to interception rate was, you know, just horrid. The completion percentage wasn't there. And over the course of the last three years in particular, since that rookie season, I mean, those numbers have taken a significant drop off. You know, and you mentioned what he's doing on the ground with his legs. I mean, he scored three rushing touchdowns already this season. That's the most he's had in a year. And there's still nine games to go. And that's a big formula to what they're doing to, to win these games and to stay in these games. I mean, that game against the Seahawks, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Aaron, was kind of like anomalous for, uh, for the Giants. Every single game, you know, they played prior to that had been decided by one possession or less. How many of these games did the Texans play where they're in it right there? Now, the last couple of weeks, maybe notwithstanding, they've felt a little bit more um, like out of reach than anything before. But even that Chargers game, they had opportunities in the fourth quarter and just kind of comes down to a, a couple of three plays here and there and taking care of the football. I think that's something that really has been Davis Mills um, downfall, unfortunately, over the course of the last uh, really four or five games. Those interceptions are up. The fumbles lost. Uh, he's, I think he's only lost one, but he's put the ball on the ground a couple of three times. And that's just something the Texans aren't good enough to overcome. And I don't know if the Giants are necessarily either, but through eight games, um, they've looked the part. Right. They have. And, you know, you think about where the Texans are in stark contrast to the Giants and, they're a team that just doesn't know how to win in the fourth quarter. And they had a chance to win lots of games. Yeah. But what we could have, should have, you know. Ultimately, like, you know, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, a lot of smart guys, wise guys over the years have said, you are what your record is. You don't get any moral victories. There's no stop points. And one, six and one speaks volumes. They are in line for the top overall pick of the draft now after the Lions won. Pull off a little upset over the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, Texans could draft anybody they want, and maybe they will wind up with the first pick if this continues. And there's many out there that think that's a good thing. That's yeah. what, what they need to have happen for them. But, yeah, that, that's where they're at right now. And it's a tough situation. It's hard to lose. And I commend them, actually, because they've been extremely professional and courteous. No one – you know, I can't speak for every single exchange, but I, you know, I'll ask you, can you think of a time when a guy kind of like popped off at us or like, you know, was really no. rude or Coach Smith? No, no. you know, total that, pros. That's such a great point that you make. And, you know, the one guy that really stands out to me that has probably handled it better than anybody. And it, it's kind of like a microcosm of what the Texans have experienced to some degree is Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce Look, it's a little bit easier to kind of handle the losing when when you're kind of given the opportunity to do some things that you weren't in college, you know, for years in Florida. I mean, he's given the opportunity now where every week almost he's seen his, his touches increase, the success that he's had in running the football have increased just coming off of a, a career-high 139-yard performance against the Eagles on 27 carries. I think that was a season high for him uh, by a couple or three carries. And he's been he's been probably one of the most professional, not named Jalen Petrie amongst the rookies um, that we've talked to that look is is hungry and wants to learn and wants to win and understands that it is a process. And it's such a fine line when you're in a situation like this with the Houston Texans. And look, a lot of the fans don't buy it right now. And I totally get it. I, I, I totally understand why. 
Um, it's kind of a hard thing to kind of bend your mind over and wrap it around. But when you are players and, and, and you're getting paid and you, you want to go out there and play and, you know, try to win games, but you're also charged with, you know, that extra responsibility of mentoring the guy that's probably going to take your job, you know, whether it be a Rex Burkhead um, or an AJ can or a McCray on the offensive line, whoever it is, you know, that that's kind of just a product of the business of the NFL. And I think a lot of those veterans and the younger guys have kind of embraced it to this point. They understand it. They've handled it really well. And they, they really haven't let it affect what's going on in, in a classroom or on a practice field or on a game field. And I think that's really what's going to be key over the course of the next, you know, eight, nine weeks to finish out this NFL season. And I, I certainly think that Brandon Cook's drama, you know, wasn't going to help. And it's to me vitally important that he's been able to go back in there. And, you know, we don't know what kind of drama necessarily, if any at all, was really had with his absence and then returned to the team. But it's certainly a good thing, I think, for everybody involved that he's going to be back and squash this thing and be professional and play to the best of his abilities because that sets the example. And you heard it from Chris Moore today, you know, who said, yeah, it's a business, and but he's a leader. And so I, I think that's absolutely huge. And, and in regards to Damian Pierce, we, we've got to talk about him because – Aaron, he's gaining confidence every single day, every single week. I think he could be trouble for the Giants. So I want to talk about that when we come back. Also, the Giants, they're coming off that loss to the Seahawks, as I mentioned. What do they do better than most that has the Texans paying extra close attention? We'll talk about that next. Prom Social Poker Club opens daily at 10 a.m. and doesn't close until the last person leaves. Now, that's 24-7, 365 days a year, so you can always get your poker game on at Prime. Also, daily, free play starting at 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. with happy hour from 4 to 9 p.m. They have daily and nightly tournaments with buy-in starting as low as $60 and going as high as $5,000. Now, check this out. Guaranteed prize money as large as $2 million. What are you waiting for? Get in the game. Prime Social Poker Club here locally in Houston, 7801 Westheimer. We've told you about the endless insights at Inside Edge, but let us tell you about the real gold mine. They're five-star picks. And in the 2021 NFL season, Inside Edge went 34 and 14 against the spread for a success rate of 70.8. And now you have access to these five-star picks for only $20 per pick or get the deal of the lifetime. Every five-star pick for the entire year for only $149. Even better, our listeners get a discount of 10% on that access by using code Houston. That's code Houston. All right, back on the Houston Football Show. Sean Bajani with you from Sports Radio 610. And Aaron Wilson, NFL insider, covers the Houston Texans every single day with me on the ground at Texans for KPRC Local 2. Appreciate you joining us. Aaron, Damian Pierce, I mentioned gaining all kinds of confidence. I mean, he's looking at this Giants team who are just 25th in the league in rush yards allowed per game. They give up about 138 yards per contest. Pierce himself. Entering Sunday with 100 yards rushing in five of his last six games, including that career high I mentioned against the Eagles, 139 yards. You know, we can look at a couple of things here, but I, I just look at what Damian Pierce does to an NFL defense. I don't know how the Titans were able to slow Pierce in the run game down. If you have some insight there, I think I'd be interested to hear that and whether or not you think the Giants could use that similar formula to slow Pierce down at all. Uh, not unless they could have traded for Jeffrey Simmons. And I think uh, he's unique, <laughs> special. Whatever he gets paid next year, and that's when they're going to start working on his contract, I'm told. He is absolutely one of the best defensive tackles to play in the NFL in the past decade. And he wrecked the game. They were unable to block him. It got very ugly. You saw some of the rip moves and bull rushes <clears throat> that he executed against the interior offensive linemen, including mm -hmm. Scott Quesenberry at the center. And Justin McCray 
uh, you know, it, it got tough out there for them. And I think, uh, you know, with AJ can out sick, that affected things. It made it kind of compounded the problem and they weren't able to run the way they normally do. And plays were ending before they even got started. Yeah. Living in their backfield. So when you have that kind of matchup problem, you can't run the ball. He's just dominant. And I mean, it was like an Aaron Donald kind of performance from him. And that's how good he is. And he's gonna be a problem for lots of teams, but especially when you're not that good as an interior line, it's hard. And yeah. they really were facing an almost impossible task. The only thing they could have done is try to run wide more. And they have some decent speed on the perimeter. And so that wasn't working. And there was not even a semblance of a passing game to compliment Damien. So I think he was pretty much doomed from the start. And then, of course, what Derrick Henry was doing on the other side of the football, dominating them, running rough shot all over these guys again. So that's kind of the problem. I don't know if the Giants, without having someone of you know his cover, they do have Dexter Lawrence, who's a big, strong guy, but he's not Jeffrey Simmons. He's not as mobile. It, it still won't be easy. Uh, nothing's really simple for the Texans at this point. I, I think that Damian will have a shot to, you know, make some hay, run some, you know, run some yards and, and get some things happening, but it, it won't be just, you know, simple. Yeah. Uh, I thought he did a good job against a decent Eagles defense of running the ball. You saw how much they were able to get downhill. You saw them pull a little bit, getting Laramie Tunsil out, running interference. I thought that was great. Yeah, and, you know, and I want him in the open field. You, you mentioned, you know, Tunsil getting out and pulling. You know, what I noticed in the preseason with the rookie, Kenyon Green, is they had him doing that a lot. And the Texans saw a lot of success. And that's kind of where, you know, this excitement in uh, what really just the excitement in Damian Pierce was birthed. You know, for a lot of fans and I think the media types is that we saw the success that Pierce was having running behind not just Troy Hairston, the fullback, but, you know, Kenyon Green, who was pulling, you know, one, two gaps over. And they were doing some creative things like that. And on the had a trade we hadn't seen a lot of, you know, that takes a lot of timing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, the old Washington football team used to run and with the great success with the Hogs, uh, that legendary offensive line and with John Riggins and. Ernest Biner and guys like that. But yeah, yeah, it's really good football play. And when you can get extra blockers, you get numbers and you have an advantage. And when you have a fullback like Troy Harrison that is a rough, tough customer and is kicking linebackers out, you've got a chance. And Damien can kind of make his own hole and break enough tackles, work more tackles than practically anyone in the NFL, that you're in business. But until they get some things going, I mean, I don't know why they don't run more play action. It's just going to be a fairly one-dimensional offense. So as one-dimensional as they were last year, throwing the football all the time, now it's the other way around. So, Well, you mentioned play action, Aaron. I kind of want to ask you a little bit more about that and just something that the Texans can do to combat with the Giants. According to Lovey Smith, and it bears out in the numbers, the Giants do maybe better – and more than anybody else in the entire league. Going into that Seahawks game, the Giants were bringing a blitz on nearly 42% of opponent dropbacks. That's not only the highest in the NFL this season, but on pace to be the highest by any team over the last two seasons. And you mentioned play action. We haven't seen that from the Texans with any uh, sort of consistency at all. I, I, I really can't even remember when I've seen it, but could that be something that helps the Texans, not maybe just against the Giants, but against future opponents in being able to kind of broaden this offense and create more opportunities and success for them? Well, absolutely, yeah. But as they say, live by the blitz, die by the blitz. Right now they're not just living by the blitz, they're thriving with the blitz. And Wing Martindale is not reckless. He picks his shots, and it's a well-designed blitz package that he employs Every week, and this isn't new. This is just who he is, what he believes in, the kind of aggressive style that he has. And, yeah, it's not going to stop. And I wouldn't say that, you know, blitzing Davis Mills is something you necessarily have to do because I think you can beat him without blitzing. Mm -hmm. But I think it will give him some problems. And there will also be some opportunities. And they're going to need some quick-hitting plays. And 
know, I think that they'll have a chance because of the blitz. If anything, it might be something of an equalizer. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out. But yeah, man, uh, I think it's going to be tough. And, you know, Davis is going to have to good, take good care of the football and make some good decisions. And I would expect because of the blitz, a high amount of run attempts. And uh, I think that 30 carries is a very strong possibility for Damian Pierce. And why not? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. We haven't seen that yet. He got 27 this past week against the Eagles on Thursday night. It just seems like when Pierce gets up and around, you know, 20 carries in a game, which typically tends to be around like mid third quarter, that's also the point in time where the Texans are sort of forced to abandon the run because their defense has either put themselves in a position to where they haven't been able to stop the run, clock's ticked off, and you're going to have to pass a little bit more at that stage of the game because the Texans are usually behind. Um, getting 30 carries you know, in a Gary Kubiak system used to be the formula for winning. If you can run the ball 30 times, you know the stats bear out, you're going to win more games than not. And unfortunately for the Houston Texans, they really haven't been able to approach that threshold yet with, uh, with any you know, relativity because they have to pass the ball. And being able to pass the ball for the Texans and Davis Mills, I think, is something that is going to have to improve. But it could improve this Sunday. What kind of impact do you think the Giants missing their safety, Xavier McKinney, for the next few weeks, but this Sunday included after suffering a hand injury with an ATV accident in Cabo will have against the Texans and Mills? Right, Sean. I think it hurts them a lot. He was an extension of Wink Martindale out there. He's a voice in the defensive huddle, a signal caller, and very smart player, very talented. And not having him, it does affect the quality of their defense. So it's it's a huge blow, and I think it helps them a little bit. And if anything, it gives Davis something of a fighting chance. Aaron, I appreciate you joining us, man. As always, thank you for letting me be a part of the Houston football show oh, today. Great having uh, you. I'm certainly looking forward to it uh, down the road and talking some ball with you guys. Of course, uh, we will have the very latest for you, Aaron Wilson uh, and myself, on the ground every day at the Houston Texans. And we'll be out there bright and early tomorrow morning for practice. So NFL insider Aaron Wilson, uh, make sure you check out his work at KPRC Local 2. And you can always uh, hit him up on Twitter, uh, myself as well. Um, you can check my work out at sportsradio610.com. Before we get you out of here, I want to take a moment uh, to tell you a little bit about Inside Edge. And Inside Edge is just absolutely killing it. They've founded 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for MLB clubs. And if you've seen the movie Moneyball, you know exactly how valuable it is. Fans can now access the same insights and analytics used by professional teams for free. It's myinsideedge.com. That's myinsideedge.com. It's a destination for sports bettors, daily fantasy players, where they can find matchup-specific insights and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. And who does not want that? It's awesome that anybody can access this stuff for free. But the best part is this package they have, it's a five-star game picks and they kill it. 34 and 14 against the spread last NFL season. That's a success rate of almost 71%. You're not going to get that kind of tool to help you again uh, gain such an advantage anywhere else. If you're listening today, you can get it. Use the code HOUSTON. That's HOUSTON in all caps, and you'll receive 10% off of your subscription. It's my Inside Edge. This has been the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge.